listening to Passing Places, a composition, a Scottish music composition by Myrid Green. You can find out more about Myrid Green at her website, myridgreen.com, or pop on to my own website, bonnytours.com, and follow the links from the front page. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Passing Places. If you're a regular listener, welcome back, and if you're new to the show, I usually kick off by saying it's my personal diary of my travels around Scotland. Usually, certainly across the period I've been doing the podcast, it's in my motorhome, but I keep saying every week that I also go out my motorbike, and I haven't managed it since I got this van, so I need to get back out my motorbike soon, and I do a little bit of hill walking, and I'm hoping to do some cycling soon, so that's the various modes of transport, and this week I've been stuck uh, I'll tell you all about it in the next few minutes, but I've been based down in Ayrshire and I've been undertaking the school run each morning and afternoon, so I haven't been anywhere exotic or exciting in terms of getting out and about in Scotland, but I have managed to make a few recordings of my uh, trials and tribulations this week as I venture in and out of Glasgow. And the main focus of the episode is a quite enjoyable trip down to Dumbarton and some time standing on top of Dumbarton Castle. As always, before we get into the main topic, I'd like to give a few very quick shout-outs. I was talking last week, as I do most weeks, about the uh, iTunes reviews and how quickly that can really improve the visibility of the podcast online. So I was on the American iTunes store yesterday, and I found another two new reviews in the last week. One was from Rob MCK, which I think is, pretty sure it's Rob McKenzie, who has been contributing to the Passing Places podcast group on Facebook. I think he's from Austin, Texas, and he was saying that it's a great Scottish uh, podcast, uh, full of travel tips and adventures. So thanks, Rob, for your um, kind words and the positive review. And I know that uh, you also mentioned on the Passing Places podcast group about your experiences looking for petrol whilst you were in Gearlock on the northwest coast. So I hope you keep listening and maybe one day I'll catch up with you on your future trips around Scotland. The other review I came across on iTunes was from uh, Joyce, who I'd mentioned, I think, last week in terms of her plans to come over to Scotland for a few weeks in October. I think Joyce is in Boston and she'd left me a review to say that uh, if you're ever travelling in Scotland that uh, you should really subscribe to Passing Places and that she loves the podcast. So it's really great to get that type of feedback. And if you're in the USA, I now have, I think, three reviews and it'd be great to just get one or two more because that would give me a rating on the USA iTunes store. On the UK iTunes store, I think I've got 21 reviews and... Um, As I say, I can't get enough of them, so if you can find the time and if you haven't uh, submitted a review already, that would be really good. Now Joyce, as well as the iTunes review, has also sent me a SpeakPipe voicemail message. And you can do the same if you nip on to bonnytours.com, that's B-O-N-N-I-E, bonnytours.com. You can leave a voicemail message if you're on your computer and I'll play it on the podcast. So I'll just let you hear Joyce's uh, voicemail and she'll explain towards the end the various sounds in the background. Hello, 
Hi, Kevin. This is Joyce from Boston. Um, I looked at your video, uh, Northwest of Scotland, um, on your website, and it is so beautiful. Um, I sent you an email a few days ago about my upcoming October trip, and you were so kind to give me some suggestions um, based on the route, route that I had mapped out. Now I'm thinking I'm going to have to go to Northwest Scotland also. It's probably one of the most beautiful places um, in Scotland. So I guess I'm going to need more than two weeks. You've been so wonderful about um, giving us tips on where to go and what to see when we're there. You really make Scotland come alive. I just wanted to let you know I appreciate all the work that you do. Um, you're like the greatest ambassador for Scotland. Oh, you probably hear the wind chimes in the background. I'm here in, in Massachusetts. It's fall, and so it's a little bit windy, and I'm in my um, sun porch, and so you can hear the chimes out on the, on the deck. So anyway, I'm sure it's probably not going to be, um, it's probably going to be more windy, actually, in Scotland when I get there in October. But thanks again. Well, when you podcast, I think I've said it before in previous episodes, you're talking into a, a microphone, into a black hole. And when you get feedback, whether it's comments on the website or on Facebook, or you get iTunes reviews, it just really makes the whole thing worthwhile. But see, when you put your voice out there and I get this email and there's a voicemail, you know, my heart miss, misses a beat and it's... I just can't uh, stress how brilliant it is to get a voicemail and Joyce, that is just fantastic, the feedback. Uh, it really does fire me up for the week ahead and it almost guarantees each week there'll be another podcast because it means there's a connection out there that when I'm talking, I'm talking to you and the other people that have left feedback for me, but it really does make a big difference. Sometimes when you're sitting down in front of a microphone, you're wondering, hey, Am I just a bit uh, mad? So thanks for your positive feedback and I really do hope that you have a wonderful time in Scotland, both you and your husband. So keep in touch and if there's anything else I can offer by way of advice, I think I mentioned on the Facebook page that you won't have any trouble with your sat-nav. We've got very good sat-nav GPS reception across Scotland, so that'll be fine. So thanks again, both Rob and Joyce, uh, for your feedback. And if you'd like to leave an iTunes review or leave a voicemail or a comment, you can jump onto bonnytours.com and use the voicemail service. Get onto Facebook and type into the search box Passing Places Podcast and join our group. Or you can catch up with me on Twitter at bonnytours.com. So let's get into the week that was and what I intend to do over the week ahead. So after I recorded last week's episode, I was thinking perhaps it was just far too long, too much of a bramble, that uh, route through Scotland. But also, I think maybe if you're a traveller and you're out there and about, it might just work for you if you have it downloaded onto your phone. So if it felt far too long and meandering, then apologies. And it was partly because last Friday I hadn't been anywhere and... You know, beware because I haven't been 
many places at all this week either. But in reality, I've been uh, up and down the road to Glasgow on the school run. And I've got some recordings which I haven't yet decided how much I'm going to play, but it's going to give you a little bit of an insight into how grumpy I can really get when I feel like a caged animal. I've spent three or four years out in the highways and byways of Scotland, usually in the most remote parts of Scotland. And this uh, last week I've been back into the, the depths of the hamster wheel, getting in and out of Glasgow. So let's have a little listen, just have a little listen to how a pretty horizontal laid back guy can get really wound up by returning to the daily commute. I haven't yet decided how much I'm going to edit from this next section because it does go from bad to dreadful. But uh, bear with me and I'll probably cut it short, but I'll give you an idea of how grumpy I can get when I'm not out and about doing what I really like to do, which is uh, certainly not sitting in front of traffic lights somewhere on the south side of Glasgow. just been sitting outside a, a Costa Coffee drive through What's the world coming to when even Costa Coffee's got a drive through I've uh, finished the school run. I've enjoyed my two huge coffees outside Costa, sitting out in the sunshine. I'm now driving back through the south side to get back to Ayrshire. And uh, this drive into Glasgow and back every day, twice a day, is just... Uh, killing me off. I spent years and years commuting and driving around through work and I've been totally spoiled over the last uh, nearly four years now. I've been wandering around the Highlands and I just can't handle standing traffic. I'm at traffic lights. I've got no clutch control. I'm just not used to it. And I'm just turning into a grumpy old man. I can't criticise individuals, I mean everybody's caught up in the rat race in their own way, but what an existence. People talk about the heartbeat of a city, it's like a it's like a tide comes in in the morning and people walk these tin cans called cars from their house to their place of work and you spend so much time, like now, stopped and people are just uh, so caught up in it by the system. I wonder how much of their disposable income every month is getting spent on HP agreements for these cars that literally perform like bicycles in terms of how quickly people get to work. And uh, so much pressure to keep up with the Joneses. You can see the average car, the age of the average car is crazy. I mean, cars last forever these days. Where do all the four or five year old cars go? Do they just get scrapped? I mean, I'm running around in an old Jeep that's something like five... It's a 2005 plate, so it must be eight years old. And uh, when I got it, it had virtually no mileage on it. And I've been hammering it, so I've got 50-odd thousand on it. And there's nothing wrong with it. It'll go forever. But people seem to change their car every two or three years, and presumably they stretch themselves. And every time you look at a car and you do the finance with a the car salesman and 
you know, there's another extra or the model up and everything's always a few hundred pounds and another 1500 and you stretch yourself and you do the sums and you drive out that uh, showroom, your new car full of pride and joy and some guy behind you's got a car £3,000 more than you. It's just, <laughs> it's just uh, crazy. find the whole thing really, really disturbing these days. And everywhere you look is retail. There's no sign of all, all this uh, commuting doesn't seem to be producing anything. There's no outline of a ship being built in the Clyde or factory chimneys belching out smoke or... It's just retail. Consumerism gone mad. Every day this week I've stepped out from carpet to step to the car to more tarmac to more concrete to more paving slabs. Presumably people then step into offices. I'm just so used to stepping out the van onto grass or a beach or and to have nobody or very few people around, maybe a little white campsite, but ideally being out in the middle of nowhere, and this is just uh, insane. It is a concrete jungle, and if you're in the majority and you're working and you're commuting, I, mean, I don't want to criticise you personally, but I'm really criticising the system. For all the advances we've managed to make, we just seem to have created a society that is placated by consumerism. I don't see where the quality of life benefits are if you're encouraged and persuaded to work to produce enough money to, you know, spend on cars and kitchens and monoblock driveways and fashion and uh, eating out and it just seems totally crazy and I'm now I'm on the outskirts of Glasgow here and I'm another set of traffic lights and I wonder where all these people are going with a proper public transport system the 90% of these cars are single occupant, including myself, so every bit as guilty as the system I'm criticising. But uh, I'm just turning into a grumpy old man, it's completely. Oh! Today's Wednesday, and uh, I'm out here on Sunday. I'm going to pick up my van and I'm just going to head, head somewhere. I'd imagine it's going to be north or west. Got to get to the borders soon. I haven't been to the borders for ages. But uh, depending on the weather, I'm probably going to go head north or west. I'm also, I was following a couple of uh, podcasts, and, and I suppose the one of the trendy things in recent years, this idea of a, a random act of human kindness. So because I'm not actually in a mad rush to get to work, I'm making the effort to continually wave people in in front of me 
and uh, with people passing things and it's I'm sure people behind me are getting really annoyed but it's amazing the smile you get from people if you just uh, let them pull out from a junction let them in you're not deliberately holding other people up and I'm now I'm driving behind the police car and the guy's probably thinking why is he talking to himself I've got the audio recorder hanging off the rear view mirror and maybe he's thinking is that some sort of illegal electronics he's got to detect speed traps or something some crazy notion that he's going to pull me over. But uh, 200 yards on from one set of traffic lights, another set of traffic lights. Thankfully green over a roundabout. Oh, and there's a Tesco's. I haven't seen a supermarket for ages. And the Tesco car park is filling up nicely. Half of all our food apparently is getting thrown away from the farm to the shelf accounts for a lot of it because if the fruit and the vegetable isn't the exact size then it gets binned at that point. It gets uh, either thrown away or pushed off to feed livestock or whatever and then people go in and buy their all these two for one or three for two or two for three or something offers and they fill up their trolleys and take it all home and then they chuck half of it out so, and the food you go into the supermarket and the quality of the food is diabolical I've been in supermarkets at least three times this week which is again doing my head in and it's just full of I just see shelves or whatever you call these aisles just full of sugar and salt and my diet is dreadful but the processing of food is just unbelievable just oh get me out of here just beam me up Scotty I think I probably cut out maybe three quarters of that tirade and I need to get in a quick apology to Campbell Troop who I follow on Facebook and Campbell's just taken delivery of a brand new car and when I was playing that back I felt a bit guilty and if it's uh, any uh, way of apology can I just say Campbell I bought a brand new motorcycle last year and I got as many bells and whistles as I could so I'm guilty as charged, so enjoy your new car, and uh, that was just to give you, the listener, a little bit of insight into how wound up I can get, and almost a surprise to me that I was so um, angry, almost, as I undertook that trip each day. But also, you need to put it in context, the Scots are very good at sounding very serious when they're being ironic, and when they're trying to be sarcastic, so... Just uh, take it with a pinch of salt. So hopefully you're still tuned in and moving on very quickly. I uh, took the opportunity this morning to uh, get out 
and on a little day trip almost, I decided to go down to Dumbarton. And as I was travelling over the Erskine Bridge, I was heading for my parents who live in Dumbarton, and I was born and brought up in Dumbarton, and I escaped and was never caught. I left when I was about uh, 19 or 20, so I don't really have um, a great affinity with the town other than memories from when I was younger. But when I visit my parents, I don't have to go through the, the main town centre. So as I was travelling over the Erskine Bridge, and you hear it in the recording, I decided to drop into Dumbarton Castle. So I'm going to play a few little bits of audio, and it's all about Dumbarton. And if you want to take one thing from the recordings is, if you're coming up from the south or you arrive in Scotland from Glasgow Airport, or in any event, if you're heading down the A82 towards Loch Lomond, take a little break and stop off for an hour or so at uh, Dumbarton Castle. I could certainly recommend it. Will you join me as I'm crossing the Erskine Bridge, which is the main bridge over the Clyde, uh, further downstream from Glasgow allows the motorway traffic to avoid the journey through Glasgow. And I'm just looking over to my left, down the Clyde, and I can see the very striking uh, silhouette of Dumbarton Castle. And uh, I think 300 million years ago, when all this area was very volcanically active, uh, there was a volcano just at the mouth of the River Leven where it joins the Clyde. And uh, the result of that is the volcanic plug, which is left over and it's now, or has been for centuries, a castle, a fortress. It's uh, quite striking when you look down the Clyde from the bridge. And I'm heading down to Dumbarton because my parents uh, still live in Dumbarton. I was uh, born and brought up in Dumbarton, so I'm just thinking, looking down the river there, that I'll probably maybe drop off at the castle for half an hour and have a wander round. It's uh, really pleasant place to spend uh, an hour or so if you've got the time. Every time I go to the castle I'm always surprised at how quiet it is and I'm also surprised at how many or how few locals seem to spend much time there because it's a fantastic vantage point to look up and down the Clyde from on top of the castle and looking north you get tremendous views of on a clear day of Ben Lomond and the hills surrounding Dumbarton, you get the whole town laid out in front of you. But, uh, I'll drop in and I'm pretty sure it's open all year round. And today is dry, yesterday was what we call Dreekit. Dreekit, a really wet, horrible, miserable day. Wet and windy all day. And today looks as if it's going to stay dry, hopefully. There's a mixture of, there was some blue sky around earlier and it's a bit more overcast now. But for the day, so and, uh, maybe manage a little bit of audio recording down at Dumbarton Castle. I'll speak to you soon. Well, I've just climbed a couple of hundred steps and I'm on the top of Dumbarton Castle and I need to catch my breath. I'm uh, nowhere near as fit as I should be. But uh, what a great vantage point, what a great view to look up and down the Clyde and look north into Loch Lomond side and 
I can see not quite the top of Ben Lomond because of the cloud cover, but looking north, I'm looking at Ben Lomond. But uh, I'm going to have to pause the recording till I catch my breath. So I don't think I'm going to ever get my breath back, so I might as well have a chat. As I say, I'm standing on the... There's two two mounds that make up the, the rock, and I suppose the original vent in the middle has collapsed millions of years ago. So it's almost like two humps, and I'm on the higher of the two, which is the west one. And as I say, you've got fantastic views up and down the Clyde. If I look south, I can see on the opposite bank, Lang Bank, and looking down west out to the Firth of Clyde, on the south bank I can look down 10 miles maybe, down to Port Glasgow and Greenock, which were very, very busy ports at one time, and uh, served Glasgow in the west of Scotland, and looking east, three or four miles upriver, the river starts to narrow quite dramatically, but I can see the Erskine Bridge, which is a massive bridge across the Clyde. I just uh, came over uh, 20 minutes ago on my way down to Dumbarton. So one of the reasons I like Dumbarton Castle is, as I say, it's never busy. I'm standing here on the very top. I'm the only person here. Fantastic monument, fantastic uh, history. And as I was saying, I was born and brought up in Dumbarton, so I can stand up here and I can see the various parts of the town that I have lived in over the years. And uh, the more you look, the more you see. Dumbarton Football Club have now relocated from the centre of town to a new pitch just below the castle. So if you want to follow Dumbarton Football Club, you can come up here and watch them for free. It's right below me. Interestingly, Dumbarton was one of the first football clubs established in 1880 or something, 1881, and they won the Scottish Cup a number of times. And they, from memory, they played the FA Cup champions, which were, I think it was Blackburn. And when they won that, they declared themselves the champions of Britain. And given there weren't any other cups or leagues at that time across the world, they went on to proclaim themselves as world champions. So it's quite a fall from grace from world champions to the, the lower leagues of Scottish football, but I think they're doing quite well in the last year or two. And now that you've started me on history, uh, Dumbarton Castle, as I say, it was formed hundreds of millions of years ago, but it's been a fortress of some kind since uh, certainly maybe 400 AD or something. I know the Vikings were here laying siege to the castle in 800 and something AD and uh, Mel Gibson was incarcerated here. Uh, we know him as uh, William Wallace but he was he was kept here for a short period on his way south to be hung, drawn and quartered in London and even Mary Queen of Scots was here briefly as a child. She was whisked off to France although she later did come back to Scotland and ended up being beheaded down in Northamptonshire. But that's another story. But uh, Dumbarton, looking at it now, it's just a sad reflection of its former self, really. It used to be a very proud industrial town. It was famous primarily for its shipbuilding, uh, whisky distillation, 
and I believe there's even some glassworks as well, but Denny's, which was the main shipbuilders, is long gone. I think it finally closed in the early 60s, and it's been replaced by, apart from the Martin Football Club's ground, it looks like residential houses and Morrison supermarkets and retail parks and all the usual. And the big distillery, Ballantyne's Distillery, which at one time was the largest grain distillery in Europe, has been closed for many years and most of the buildings have been demolished but the original main story, the main block, which must be one, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven, eight storeys tall, is sitting there still to be demolished. So the river Leaven, which flows directly into the Clyde here, and the castle sits in the corner. The river Leaven sort of meanders north to Loch Lomond, which is only four or five miles further up. But the river frontage, looking down from the castle, looks a bit uh, dilapidated. It could really do with some sort of uh, facelift or be born again as a marina or something. There are still a number of little boats sitting in the river just off the town centre. As I say, from here you can see all over the town the um, what we call the line crags, the hills behind the town, and the muck quarry, which is when I was a kid was a quarry, but it now looks like an old decayed wisdom tooth. The entire part of the hill has been taken out by quarrying over the last 30 or 40 years. When I mentioned Denny's shipyards, the most famous ship they built was the Cutty Sark, and it was uh, the last of the, the sailing ships. Really, it was a, a tea clipper, and it was designed to sail to places like India and collect a cargo of tea. But its days were numbered because in the same year it was built, I think it was 1869 or something, it was the year the Suez Canal opened. And the Suez Canal meant that uh, ships no longer had to travel right round Africa to get to the Far East. And it was also the advent of steam, so the Cutty Sark lasted, I think, four or five years as a tea clipper. It was one of the fastest sailing ships of its day. And then for many years after that, it uh, used to travel to Australia and back, I think, with a cargo of wool. But it's now... In fact, it should be, as part of this redevelopment of the waterfront at Dumbarton, it should be sitting here in Dumbarton, but it's actually sitting in the Thames in London. It's uh, quite a tourist attraction down there. It was uh, badly damaged by fire in the last ten years or so, but I think it's been fully restored again, so maybe we should have a campaign to get the Cutty Sark back to Dumbarton. Maybe that would help rejuvenate the town. Just looking up the river, leaving, looking north, and you can see the old bridge, which it was put in in 17-something as well, and uh, that enabled the town to expand onto the west bank of the river leaving, which is Westbridge End and into what they now call Brussel and Castle Hill. And that bridge apparently was put in by the demands of the Duke of Argyll. He had an estate down in Roseneath, and he was wanting an easy crossing of the river, leaving on his way up to Glasgow to do his shopping. So 
I doubt the guy paid anything for it, but uh, it, um, it certainly made Dumbarton expand onto the opposite bank. And there's now a much more modern bridge, which I remember being built as a kid, um, which takes most of the traffic now from Dumbarton further down the Clyde to Helensborough. And also, just looking when I mentioned the Erskine Bridge, I remember the Erskine Bridge being built. It was the early 70s. And I also remember the, the maiden voyage of the QE2 down the Clyde. I can't remember which one came first. I think that was late 60s. So the whole area has some amazing heritage. And if you're thinking about the history of Scotland, I'm looking down now at Greenock, and a lot of people don't know about... Uh, when you think back to the British Empire. So I'm going to indulge myself in a wee bit of uh, history here, so I can remember. I'm looking down the Clyde again at uh, Port Glasgow and Greenock. And if you take Scotland back to just before the Act of Union in 1707, Scotland was on its knees economically and financially after many, many years of stop and start warfare with England and famine and all sorts of other problems Scotland found itself in dire straits and a guy, I think his name was William Patterson England at that time was expanding its colonial reach for the first time and he had an idea to set up a, a colony in what is modern day Panama which is that thin bit of land between South America and the United States and he tried to flog the idea of English, and they would have none of it. And I think he tried to sell it to the Italians and a few others, but he moved himself up to Edinburgh and found a, a willing country, desperate to try and copy or compete with other European nations like England, who were rapidly expanding through colonialism into India and Africa. And... Uh, there was a huge fundraising exercise to raise the monies involved and it ended up towns all across Scotland raided their purses as well as business people and landed gentry and noblemen and all the rest of it. A quarter of the currency in Scot Scotland was uh, collected in to support the Darien scheme and the idea was to head over to Panama and they'd realised that if they could set up a port on that uh, east coast then goods could be transported across Panama and reloaded onto ships and in effect they would cut out the entire South American continent and link the Atlantic to the Pacific and that uh, by doing so Scotland would begin to build its own colonial empire so I think the first fleet headed off in must have been 1691 or something from uh, Leith, which is the port in Edinburgh, and it was a disaster from the start. Badly planned, and a uh, number of people died in the voyage. And when they got to what they were told was the promised land, there was very little opportunity to do any agriculture of any kind, and. The settlers were all coming down with terminal diseases and the English had got word of the whole plan and they had uh, made an agreement with the Spanish who were very strong in South America 
to scupper any chance of Scotland getting a foothold in Panama. So whilst the original first wave was uh, going through Helen back, a second fleet headed off from Greenock, which is where I'm looking just now. And when they arrived, they found the colony uh, almost disbanded and they lasted a matter of months, a second fleet before the Spaniards arrived on force and uh, completely uh, put an end to the whole idea. And of the two fleets that sailed, only one ship returned to Scotland. I think it was called the Caledonia. And that, in many ways, for many people, led to the Act of Union in 1707 because the businessmen and noblemen of Scotland, many of whom were, because of the amount of land and possessions that had changed over the various wars with Scotland and England, were as much English as they were Scottish, but Scotland had been facing economic sanctions from England for some years. And a number of noblemen in Scotland saw the opportunity to, by joining the Crowns and signing the Act of Union, they would get some compensation for the huge losses of the Darien scheme. And uh, the rest is history. But interestingly, one of the forgotten parts of history and one that uh, has always been of interest to me is the slave trade. Scotland, Greenock, Port Glasgow, the, the um, docks in Glasgow city centre as well. Much of the wealth of Scotland was built on the back of importing sugar and tobacco and what most people either don't know or don't want to hear about is the fact that it was built on slavery. One of the realities of the Act of Union was that Scotland had faced these trade embargoes. Scotland couldn't get uh, access to European markets or beyond and uh, part of the Act of Union gave Scottish merchants and traders the chance to trade in, the, in Africa and the West Indies and they were like a rabbit, like a ferret down a rabbit hole. The Scots piled in as quickly as they could and very, very quickly uh, what they call the triangulation of trade started to happen. Ships would sail out from Greenock, Port Glasgow and other ports in England, to be fair, Bristol and Liverpool and London, uh, full of goods for Africa. And they would trade, initially they would trade for uh, the Africans were very good goldsmiths and metal workers, but uh, they very quickly started delivering weapons and all sorts of other things to African tribes in exchange for people. And uh, the slave trade was in, really involved in taking Africans by force to the West Indies and to mainland America, Virginia for tobacco in particular. And the slave boat owners would make money from the initial trade of goods from Scotland or England. They would buy two or three hundred African slaves. Some of them would survive the, the trip to either Jamaica or the West Indies or America. They would sell the slaves and in turn they would fill their ships with tobacco and sugar and return to the Clyde. And whilst very few slaves ever arrived in Scotland, uh, Scotland and Britain were the major complicit power in slavery. And they reckon 10 million 
Africans were forcibly removed from the continent to live a very short life, typically four or five years, as slaves. And huge profits were made in the British Empire and huge profits were made in Scotland. Many of the big stately homes in Scotland and the major buildings in our Glasgow in particular were built on the profits of slavery and it wasn't until I think 1707 sorry 1707 was the Act of Union 200 years 1807 I think was when slavery was the transportation of slaves was abolished and then it took another 20 odd years before slavery was finally abolished so that's our dark hidden past um, I never gave it much thought as a kid, but we were always told that sugar and tobacco came into Greenock and Port Glasgow. But uh, it's very difficult to find any reference to it. It wasn't until 2007, which was the 200th anniversary of the abolition of the transportation of slaves, that there was any form of public commemoration or recognition. And there's, I'm sure now there's plenty of people who still would rather it didn't come up in conversation but it's one of these things that uh, really needs to be explored further and recognised for what it was and looking a bit further on just to finish my little uh, history lesson <laughs> the as the slave trade died out uh, there was still a, a rush from the European powers to try and control as much of Africa and beyond as they possibly could and that indirectly led to the First World War because Germany was determined to get a slice of the action and uh, the First World War in turn led to the Second World War and here we are now so you can cover a lot of history just by standing on the top of Dumbarton Castle in the wind but it's nice just to look out over the town as I say it's not uh, anything like it was before I can see one of the schools I went to, the other one's been demolished. I can see over to where I was born and where I was brought up, two different homes, and then I can see the over to the house that I spent most of my uh, formative years as a teenager. But uh, it's beginning to blow a little bit of a gale up here. And I'm still the only person in Dumbarton Castle. So, certainly recommend it if you're coming down towards Loch Lomond from the Erskine Bridge. It's only a five minute detour and as I say it's a great spot for looking right up and down the Clyde and then looking north into Loch Lomond side and beyond. On a good day, Loch, uh, Ben Lomond I can see the shoulders of the mountain, the peaks in cloud and it's according to the, the dial here on the top, it's 17 miles to Ben Lomond. And on a good day you'll see the mountains of Green Larrack which are a good be 45 miles, heading for 50 miles from here. But at the moment I can see down into the Firth of Clyde and I can see some of the Arica Alps just popping out. I think the weather's going to improve as the day goes on. And as I say, looking the other direction east, I can see the, the high-rise flats and tower blocks of Glasgow beyond the Erskine Bridge. So I'm just going to wander around the, the ramparts and uh, I don't know if I'll let you hear any of that because that sounds like a total ramble and I'm sure at least one of you listening 
will find fault with what I've just told you because I'm I'm picking off the top of my head and uh, I've probably mi mixed up various dates or whatever. So you've had Mary Queen of Scots, the Cutty Sark, Slavery, Whiskey, the Martin Football Club. What else can I tell you? Other than it's a, a great spot and a lovely day to sit up here and have a picnic. And you can buy the official guide for £2.50 which will um, tell you the true story. I never picked one up, maybe that's what I should have done. Always read a chapter from that. So I'm going to head over to the other side of town and uh, surprise my parents with a visit. And then I'm heading back to Ayrshire and hopefully I'm going to record the podcast today and we'll take it from there. So thanks for listening if you are still listening. <laughs> And uh, I'll speak to you shortly. Just arrived back in the car and uh, Skid is sitting here in the car, patiently waiting. And interestingly, a, a Dutch couple have just turned up. So they'll have the entire castle to themselves, which is good. I'm sure they'll have a nice, enjoyable experience. And uh, I'm going to take the dog for a wee wander. There's a nice little lawn there in front of the castle. Uh, right on the banks of the river you can go for a wander and then I'll head off from there so I'm just driving through Dumbarton and it's it's like uh, the vast majority of towns I think in Scotland and probably across the UK has suffered from what people call progress I'm just coming up to a roundabout here and I've got why, but we've got Morrison's supermarket, we've got an Asda supermarket, umpteen fast food outlets, Marks uh, and Spencer's, Argos, Home Base. And uh, I mention that because I know I'm just going to drive through the town centre. Uh, I was reading something online the other day about how bad the town centre was. I don't normally go through the town, but bypasses the town centre. I'm going to drive through the town centre and I'm sure you can imagine what we're going to find there. Probably hoarded up shops. And it's sad that uh, we've now got these out of town retail parks. But then people also say you get what you ask for and presumably people as consumers that's what they want. They want everything in the one place with free parking. In the past we used to in the town centre and you would go to the bakers for your bread, the news agents for your newspaper and the green grocers for your fruit, Woolies, if you remember Woolworths for everything else. <laughs> I remember Woolies in Dumbarton. Those, those days have long gone. I'm expecting to find Dumbarton there's going to be empty shops and combination of uh, independent fast food outlets and pound shops and uh, what do you call these cash generator type shops or cash or check shops or you never know maybe I'll see a number of outdoor cafes just coming round in the high street just now
traffic. Banks are still here. Can argue they caused most of the problem, but they're still here. And one huge empty shop right. That's the co-op at one time. Another empty shop. Three empty shops. Woolworths is still empty. It's been closed for a number of years now. It's lying empty. Oh goodness, the whole town, the old, what we call the new town centre, which was built in the early the 70s, looks totally derelict. Many people on the main street. There's your money shop. That money shop. We buy gold. shop to let. Uh, betting shops, I suppose there's always room for betting shops. There's actually a shop with a pretend shop front. Check centre. The check bureau. <laughs> That's terrible. And now we're just going to go over the, the old bridge that I mentioned. Thanks to the Duke of Argyle. Just crossing over the Leven. Look back down at the castle. The castle looks great. It really is an interesting uh, site. Really nice monument. And that's us on the other side of Dumbarton. Just off to the left there is Leven Grove Park, which is one of the nicest parts of town. Beautiful park that we spent a lot of our childhood and down to Leaving Grove. Still really nice. And the story I remember about Leaving Grove Park was Denny's. And I was talking about the Cutty Sark and the shipbuilding. Denny. Is it William Denny? And an amazing act of philanthropy decided to gift that land as a park for the citizens of Dumbarton. And I've been slightly cynical because in reality, singers who were the, the American, but a big um, sewing machine manufacturer, had identified that site to build a factory. And Denny got in before them and bought the land and gave it over to the town as a park. And his motivation presumably was part philanthropic, but in reality it was to maintain a monopoly on the Dumbarton workforce. Denny's were really worried about a big manufacturer coming into the town. So Singer built their sewing machine a few miles up the Clyde and Clyde Bank. So there's another wee bit of history I'd forgotten. So even Skid's begin to cry. You don't like the history, do you, Skid? Hmm? Yeah, these wee walk around the front of the, the castle wasn't long enough for him and now he's keen to get off out again <coughs> what do you want eh? 
You want to get out? Hmm? Nearly there. You can tell when we come to skid gets really excited every time I stop or put the indicator on because you think it's journey's end. You're too used to the highlands where when we drive for miles and miles you know when the car or the van slows down that you're getting out whereas in the central belt you stop start every two minutes. So every time I slow down he thinks we're getting out. That was just traffic lights skid I'm afraid. Another five minutes will be there. It will be there soon. I know. Do you know what's in the farmer's field? <laughs> Do you know what's in the farmer's field? Yeah. Sheep. Sometimes cows. That's uh, when I take skid on safari when we drive through the countryside. If there's fields full of cows or sheep, they often look at them out the window. So as soon as you mention the farmer's field, you get uh, reaction. Isn't that right, Skiddy boy? So that was my trip down to Dumbarton and my little detour to Dumbarton Castle. Apologies for the wind noise in the top and when I played back the recording I can also pick up some type of either lawnmower or machinery that was making a noise somewhere in the town but quite an enjoyable experience. It was great to see my parents again and I'm now back in Ayrshire and I'm now less than 48 hours away from freedom. The chance to head off, escape the traffic lights and uh, get back out in the road. So I'll get off in the van probably Monday morning and I'll head off up north, I'd guess. I might head to the borders, I'll take a weather check. And my only rendezvous point is on the Thursday into Friday. I'm due to spend the weekend in Royal Deeside at a place called Tarland. If you want to check the map or if you've been there before, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it's a... Uh, chance to meet some new people. Uh, they're all members of the Talbot um, Camper Van Motorhome Forum. I um, can't remember the name offhand of the forum, but they've been very engaging so far through the forum and on the Facebook uh, communications I've had with them. So I'm looking forward to next weekend and I'm still beginning to feel on a little bit of a downer given that we're heading into autumn. And in Scotland, autumn and winter are often uh, intermixed from now on. So that's my immediate thoughts for the week ahead. And I'd like you to, if you could, uh, get in touch. As I say, that voicemail, when you put the, your voice out there on the microphone and you get a voicemail back, it's almost a conversation. It's a time-shifted conversation. But in any event, you can... Leave a comment, as I say, on the website at bonnytours.com or on Passing Places Podcast group on Facebook or on Twitter at Bonnie Tours. And check out, uh, Joyce mentioned the video of the Northwest Coast. 
if you could get onto YouTube, I've got 40 or 50 videos of my travels around Scotland on YouTube. Just type in Kevin Scullion into YouTube and you'll get an idea of some of the parts of Scotland that I visited. Often it's on my motorbike, so the videos are a little bit different. So it's been a, a difficult uh, 10 days or so in terms of a change from my usual routine. But as I say, I'll be back out on the road soon. And before I leave you, I'd just like to mention two other things. One is the opportunity to support the podcast through the website. I have uh, an Amazon shop or there's various Amazon banners on each of the pages. So if you click on them or go through the shop to Amazon, anything you buy on Amazon, the podcast gets a small commission and that makes the uh, process of paying the hosting fees and the website fees uh, a little bit easier. And just the other day I put on a, I've been thinking about this long and hard, but I've put on a an option to donate uh, any amount you choose, a small amount, to Passing Places, the podcast, which will help keep the podcast going in terms of the expense and the running costs, and it's completely optional. It's just a, an idea that I've seen most podcasts have a donate button, so if you would like to make a donation to Passing Places, then feel free. If you don't, that's absolutely perfectly fine. So I'm going to sign off here today and I'm looking forward over the next week or two there'll be the opportunity to bring some more voices in from this mini-meet, hopefully, in Royal Deeside. And as I mentioned in the last week or two, I have a couple of Skype interviews lined up with people in the um, whole sector who are involved in motorhomes and some of the issues that we face when we're travelling out and about in terms of parking and overnight stops and things. So I'll uh, love you and leave you. And if you are ever in Scotland, I really do hope that maybe we can bump into each other. And in the meantime, stay safe and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. <laughs>